let's just get into this message this morning. I'm trying to gear a couple of messages this year towards the holiday season. And of course, the big focus this time of year, it's crazy. I've been into, do any of you shop at Kohl's? Not very many. You're really smart. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to diss Kohl's, don't get me wrong. That's a pretty cool store. They have a great variety of items there. But I've been in there a couple times over the past week, and they have these gigantic long lines for the cash register. It's taking people like 30, 40 minutes just to get up to the cash register to pay for their items. I'm personally not willing to do that. <laughs> I don't know about you guys. But um, so I just left. I said, forget this. But I, I don't know about, I was in Walmart. It didn't seem to be as bad as Kohl's. Kohl's must be really popular. But the point is that the big focus this time of year is mostly on giving and receiving gifts, isn't it? And um, things do tend to get totally out of hand. And on top of that, people give gifts for, sometimes for a variety of wrong reasons. I was thinking about this. What are some of the wrong reasons that people engage in gift giving? Well, it might be to impress someone or curry their favor, right? Trying to get in good with the boss or what have you. Um, giving with the hope of receiving back something even better, right? You, you go to the white elephant, right? The Christmas party, whether it's a, you know, they just had the school staff Christmas party last night. We weren't able to make it. We were with our grandsons, but... A lot of times you'll have these Christmas parties, white elephant, and you'll go through the closet looking for something that you've never used or, you know, but you're hoping, you're going to put that in the white elephant, but you're hoping to get something really cool, right? You're, you're hoping to upgrade. So you give the bare minimum hoping. It's kind of like the faith teachers where, you know, you'll get a hundredfold. If you give me a hundred dollars, brother, then God will give you a thousand, but it only seems to work for the folks at the very top of the pyramid. You know what I mean? But that's another wrong reason for giving a gift is hoping to get something even better. Because they don't know what's in your package until they open it, right? And then the third wrong reason would be giving out of a sense of guilt or obligation. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, wrote the Apostle Paul. When he talked about us as believers giving to the church, he said, don't give out of compulsion, like you feel like you have to, but give cheerfully, joyfully, because you love God and you want to just show God your love by giving. And so, in spite of all this wrongfulness that tends to take place this time of year, I think most of us, as believers especially, recognize the fact that giving gifts at Christmas time is a reminder of the greatest gift given to us by God. His Son, Jesus Christ, right? Given as a gift to all mankind, and from Him flows the precious gift of salvation and eternal life. So God giving us the gift of Jesus, Jesus then giving us the gift of salvation and eternal life. And of course, the gift giving probably began as a result of the, the Christmas story where the three wise men, or however many there were, came from the east bearing gifts for the Messiah the king of the Jews. But we all know this verse, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that speaks of the gift. God giving us his only son. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. So what is Paul saying here? It's by God's grace we've been saved. That's his unmerited favor. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. We don't deserve salvation, but we, by God's grace we've received salvation through faith, and that not of yourself. What not of yourselves? The faith. Faith is a gift too. And that's one of the things that I pray for my loved ones that either don't know the Lord or aren't walking with the Lord. God give them the gift of faith. And that's probably where a lot of people get confused. They think they've got to muster up the faith from within themselves. It doesn't work that way. God is the source. You, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It, it the faith, is the gift of God. So as we receive the gift of faith, then we're able to receive the gift of salvation, forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Look up some definitions of the word gift. Something given voluntarily. We talked about guilt or obligation. No, voluntarily without payment in return. And that's certainly true in the case of the gift God has given us in His Son, Jesus Christ. No way we could ever repay him for that. Something given voluntarily without payment in return as to show favor towards someone. Remember how when the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was going to be with child and bring forth the Son of God, the Son of the Most High? Called her highly favored one. And so the gift is to show favor towards someone, honor an occasion or make a gesture of assistance. And then secondly, something bestowed or acquired without any particular effort by the recipient or without it being earned. That's what makes a gift a gift. No effort on the part of the recipient, no earning of that gift, no deserving of that gift. That's what makes it the ultimate expression of love. What makes a gift truly a gift is that it comes with no strings attached. No expectations of any reciprocal action. In the Greek New Testament, we know this is called agape, right? God's unconditional love. And when we give a gift, it is or should be done out of a desire to express our love for the one we're gifting. And it's so sad for so many people who have not yet gotten a hold of this understanding of how much God loves us, every one of us. God so loved who? the world. And the ultimate expression of that love was him sending his son, Jesus Christ. We're celebrating his birth over the next couple of weeks. The Bible tells us the greatest gift is the gift of love itself. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we now dig into your word, that you would just speak to our hearts this morning and prepare our hearts that we might be able to move through this holiday season in a very godly and Christ-like way forsaking the materialism and paganism of much of the world, which has corrupted this celebration of the birth of Christ, Lord. But you are our Redeemer, and you can redeem this time for us, for those near and dear to us, and you can make it a time where many people around the world, and of course our focal point would be right here in Albuquerque, in our own community, that many would come to know Christ 
as Lord and Savior over this holiday season, that that gift of faith would be poured out upon many. Lord, bless the, the balance of this study this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you'd like to turn there, it'll also be up on the screen. It never hurts to use your Bible just to stay in practice. I'm actually going to begin with the last verse of chapter 12, verse 31. Paul spends this entire chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians talking about the gifts of the Spirit and how they operate within the body of Christ and how God has given certain gifts to certain people and they're given for the mutual edification of the saints. God gives us spiritual gifts so that we can be more effective in ministering to one another. But then at the end, he says something very interesting. He says, earnestly desire the best gifts. And then you might say, well, what are they? And my understanding is the best gifts are those that prove to be of the greatest benefit to the one that we're ministering to. If you are ministering to a non-believer, obviously one of the best gifts would be the gift of evangelism, right? And You know, I believe you can pray that way. There, there are different teachings about gifts. Some people teach that they're residential. In other words, they reside within you once you get them. They're there forever. Others teach that they're situational. In other words, at any given point in time, any believer could operate in any spiritual gift. You know what? I believe they're both. I believe some gifts are residential. For a pastor, teacher, that's a, usually a lifelong calling, and those gifts would remain with you as long as you're faithfully serving God in the capacity that He's called you to serve. But at any given point in time, again, if you find yourself in a situation where you are speaking with someone who's not a believer, you can absolutely pray silently. Father God, please give me the gift of evangelism. Help me to lead this person to Christ. Don't you think that's a prayer that God would honor? I do. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's a whole different study as we get into the gifts of the Spirit. I know people have done surveys and questionnaires and teaching series on how to know what your gifts are. The best way to find out what your gifts are is just to start serving God. And it'll become evident as you just... Commit yourself to serving the Lord and say, here am I, send me, Lord. What do you want me to do? Teach Sunday school? Whatever it is. You know, witness in my workplace, in my neighborhood. As we just submit ourselves to God and make ourselves available, it will become obvious what the gifts are. Gift of encouragement. You know, not every believer has that gift. But if you have that gift of encouragement or compassion... If you just get involved with people, get involved in their lives, these gifts will manifest in your life. Earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you, Paul writes, a more, or in some translations, most excellent way, the most excellent way. And chapter 13 is known as the love chapter, the agape chapter, the way of agape, the way of love the most excellent way. So after Paul spends that whole chapter 12 lining out the gifts of the Spirit, what they are, how God distributes them in the body of Christ, how do they be utilized, then he says, wait, but there is a most or more excellent way, the way of agape. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, 
but do not have love, agape. Every time we see the word love here, it is agape, the highest form of love, God's unconditional love. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have agape, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So here, Paul is showing the superiority of agape to the gifts of the Spirit. In this case, the gift of tongues. Without love, it's just a bunch of noise, Paul says. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have agape, I am nothing. So again, more gifts of the Spirit here. Prophecy, word of knowledge, faith. These are tremendous things. And when we read these words, we think, wow, I would love to have that gift, the gift of faith, the gift of the word of knowledge, of prophecy. But Paul says, without agape, it's nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I surrender my body to be burned, martyrdom, wow, what could be greater than that? But do not have love. It profits me nothing. No eternal reward without agape. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. And again, agape. And there's another word or name that fits perfectly here. What name is that? Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind and is not jealous. Agape does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Wow, quite a menu here. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Jesus never fails, does he? But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. When will that happen? When we see Jesus face to face. We still need these gifts in this life. But Paul says the most excellent way, not that we should cast aside gifts, but that those gifts should be energized, catalyzed, and motivated by agape love. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part... Here now, we don't know all things, do we? God has given us a wonderful, glorious glimpse of who He is and what we have to look forward to through the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, but our knowledge is far from complete at this point. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. And that perfect is Jesus. When He comes, when He returns, when we see Him face to face, Things will no longer be incomplete or partial. We will have complete and full understanding and knowledge. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, and reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. So he's using that analogy of our development as individuals, physically, mentally, emotionally, growing up, maturing, but then he ties it into the spiritual aspect of our lives. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, then being when we see Jesus. In the book of James chapter 1, it tells us the Word of God is like a mirror. We look into the mirror, and it shows us who we really are, which we don't, oh, I don't want to see that. But we have to see it so that we can become the person that Christ died for us to become. 
Not only in the, in the mirror of God's word we see who we are without Jesus, but then we can see who we are with Jesus. That's the encouraging part. When the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When we go on, we see in a mirror, verse 12, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, Paul says, Paul probably knew more than you and I ever will in this life. And yet Paul identified his own knowledge as partial. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. God knows us inside and out, doesn't he? The Bible tells us even the very hairs of our head are numbered. God knows us better than we will ever know ourselves. But Paul says, then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. So he's, he's looking forward to that time when we will no longer need the gifts of the Spirit because we will be in the very presence of God Himself. Meantime, we need the gifts, but Paul says without agape, the gifts are useless, meaningless, worthless. The most excellent way is the way of agape. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is... What would you say? Love, agape. So the Apostle Paul tells us in this passage that the highest good man can accomplish in this life is to love as Christ has loved us, with agape love, unconditional love, just like we spoke of the gift that is given without expecting anything in return, no reciprocal action, no strings attached. Now for God, this comes naturally, because He is love. John, we learned that in our studies in 1 John John tells us God is love. He's the source of true love. It comes naturally, or may I should say supernaturally for him, because he is the very essence of love. 1 John 4, 16, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. But I want to go back over the parts of this 1 Corinthians 13. Paul tells us what agape looks like. Verse 4. First of all, it's patient and kind. To give the gift of love is to be patient with and kind with your spouse, your kids, your co-workers, your neighbors, and even your enemies. Luke 6.35. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind now, here's where it gets a little difficult for you and I. He, God, is kind to the unthankful and evil. That doesn't come so easy for us, does it? It's easy to be kind to somebody who's kind to you. It's easy to be generous with somebody who exhibits thankfulness. But this is God's love, agape. It goes beyond that even to your enemies. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Now, through the rest of verse 4 as well as verses 5 and 6, Paul shows us what love looks like by showing us what it doesn't look like. Verse 4, the rest of verse 4, love is not jealous, love does not brag, and is not arrogant. Verse 5, love does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own. I may think I quoted Paul last week, and he was somewhat frustrated with some of the folks who had abandoned him in his ministry. And he said at one point, all men seek their own. And yet the way of agape, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, 
when that agape love is growing up within us, and we'll talk about that in a moment, that it is the fruit of the Spirit, which implies a growth process. We know fruit just doesn't spring up overnight, does it? You, you plant the tree, the tree begins to grow and to develop and get branches and leaves, and eventually, depending on the type of tree, it may flower, and then when the flowers fall off, the fruit begins to develop. It's a process. Verse 5, love does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. We're taught in God's word that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's God's place. He's the only one really who should be allowed to exact vengeance because he's the only perfect entity in the universe. Whenever we think about the idea of revenge getting back at someone. There's somebody out there who could just as easily say that we deserve to be gotten back at, right? We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all done things that we're not proud of, things that we shouldn't have done. Therefore, we're not really qualified to take revenge on anybody. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Now, I suspect you're probably in about the same place I am right now, and that is that I, I can very quickly begin to see as I go through this passage, I'm going to have a hard time fulfilling this way of agape without some help. These things don't come natural to us. The Bible speaks of the natural man. That's the man without the Spirit of God, the man who's not been born again. These things that we're reading about here in 1 Corinthians 13 don't come naturally. They come supernaturally as we are born again and filled with the Spirit of God. Verse 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Sadly, there are many today who have been deceived, seduced into rejoicing in unrighteousness, endorsing those things which God says are not good, they're not right, they're not righteous. But agape, and again, this is why God's love is so different than human love, than carnal love, than fleshly love. True love, agape love, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with, and this is a topic we've been on for quite a while now, rejoices with the truth. And again, the question arises, how often... Do we become offended by the truth rather than rejoicing with it? Why should we rejoice with the truth? Because Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? That's right. We should rejoice with the truth because in the truth there is freedom. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. When you rejoice with the truth, you're rejoicing with Jesus. Now, again, if if we find ourselves in that place where we're more likely to be offended with the truth than to rejoice with it, that could be an indication that uh, we're short on agape in our lives. And we can't give the truth to others if we ourselves do not truly love it. Would you agree with that? We can't give the truth to anyone else unless we truly love it ourselves. Now, back in verses 7 and 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul returns to the positive side of what love looks like. He says in verse 7, love, agape, bears all things. 
puts up with a lot, believes all things. You know, one of the biggest dangers that we probably face, perhaps more than ever today in this world we're living in, is becoming cynical, skeptical. Now, we are to be as wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves. God has given us discernment by His Holy Spirit. But so often it seems like when someone steps forward and says, Hey, man, I'm a Christian now. I accepted Christ. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll see about that, right? I know you. I know who you are. I'm not buying it. What do you want? Right? That's, that's a danger that we face of be, being skeptical and cynical. And um, The Bible teaches us to believe the best about one another until we are given strong reasons not to. Agape. Bears all things, believes all things. Again, if we choose to believe someone and it turns out they're deceiving us, who is God going to hold responsible? The deceiver. He's not going to hold it against you for doing exactly what he's called you to do as a believer. To bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. And again, the more we study this passage, the more obvious it becomes. We need an external resource, which actually then becomes an internal resource, if we're going to be able to walk in the way of agape. That resource, of course, is the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, more of the positive or actually, this is kind of the opposite again. Love never fails. This is what it doesn't do. Agape doesn't fail. You and I might fail, but God's agape love, if we're walking in the Spirit and we're growing in Christ and that love is growing up within us, that love of God will not fail. And when you see words like always and never included in the description of agape, all the more reminder that God is the source, that Jesus is the role model here. He's the one who fits like a glove. If I put my name in there, I can't, I can't honestly do that. Gary does fail. He has failed many times and will no doubt fail again many times in this life. But on the other hand, Jesus' name, the name of the one God has given to us as his ultimate and greatest gift, and we're talking about gifts here this morning, the greatest gift, the gift of agape, through Jesus Christ. His name fits perfectly in every phrase of this passage. So bottom line, and by the way, a lot of people like to uh, go through the full armor of God each day. I remember Jerry, a good brother, used to be in church here, and he'd talk about getting up, and he'd put on the helmet of salvation, you know, and the, the, the belt of truth and so forth. Really, all those elements of the armor of God are descriptive, again, of Jesus Christ. When you're putting on the full armor of God, you're putting on Jesus. In fact, there was a group back in the 70s, the Archers, uh, two brothers and a sister from Southern California, from the Assembly of God Church in Bakersfield, California. They were fantastic. They were kind of the uh, white version of, of Andre Crouch and the Disciples. Strong gospel rock, good harmony. And they had a song called Put on Jesus. Good song, Put on Jesus. And that's what we're talking about here. Every one of these aspects of agape really is a description of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is God, God is love, and this is what love looks like. That's what Paul's telling us here. Uh, unlike God, though, the ability to love like this doesn't come naturally for us. For us, the ability to love like this comes from abiding. Such an important word, abiding in Christ. When we abide in Christ, when we live in Him, we live with Him daily, then that love, that fruit can grow up within us. John 15, 4 and 5. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, and we are the branches, he's the vine, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears, how much? Much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. See, God's desire is not only that we would bear fruit, but we would bear much fruit. Again, the more fruit the healthier the, the plant, the vine, the tree. John 15, 8 through 10. By this, my Father is glorified. How many of you here this morning have a desire to glorify God? We all should, right? It should be our primary purpose here on earth, to glorify God. By this is my Father is glorified that you bear how much? Much fruit, much fruit. In order to bear much fruit, we're going to have to do a whole lot of abiding, a whole lot of abiding going on. And I don't mean Joe Biden. God forbid. My apologies to you Biden supporters, but that's not, I'm not talking about Joe Abiden. I'm talking about abiding in Christ. <laughs> By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So Jesus draws a direct connection and correlation between being a disciple of Christ and bearing much fruit. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he, he commissioned the apostles to go forth and do what? Make disciples. And that was our vision when we started Calvary Chapel East, not just to draw a crowd, which we haven't necessarily been that good at, but to make disciples. The word disciple comes from the word discipline. That means teaching people to walk and to live in the disciplines of the Christian faith because that's what it takes to be a follower of Christ. It takes discipline, prayer, Bible study, meditation, reading your Bible, fellowship with the saints, all the things that go into being a strong believer, discipleship. And here Jesus ties that directly to bearing much fruit. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love, my agape, if you keep my commandments. So there's some disciplines there. You will abide in my love. See, it's, it's unfortunate that many people equate the Christian life with nothing but feelings and emotions. But our feelings and emotions are not always reliable and trustworthy, are they? In fact, most of the bad decisions people make in this life are a result of their feelings and emotions. If you keep my commandments, obey me, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Then finally, John 15, verse 12, 
This is my commandment, says Jesus, that you agape one another as I have agaped you. So I suppose you can see from this passage that Jesus is associating love in the life of the believer with fruit. And again, the, the emotional, experience-based Christian faith would view this as just simply God waving his magic wand over you and all of a sudden you're this just totally loving person. But that's not how it works. It's a result of abiding and obeying, being disciplined, being a disciple of Christ. For God, it comes naturally. For us, it comes as a result of being connected to the vine, to Jesus. You know, it's been said many times that we cannot give away that which we do not possess. Isn't that true? You can't give somebody 50 bucks if you don't have 50 bucks, right? And you can't, can't give somebody agape love if you don't have it. We can't give the gift, and that's what we're talking about, the gift here this morning, the ultimate gift. People get sidetracked by all of this material stuff. But the ultimate gift, the greatest gift, the gift of Jesus we cannot give that unless we have first received it. We can't give agape until we've received it from the one who is agape. Then as we live with him day by day, he begins to, I kind of like this, rub off on us. Think about that. The more we hang out with him, with God, with Jesus, the more he rubs off on us. We know that expression, right? And so if you hang out with good people, they're going to rub off on you, and that's going to make you a better person. If you hang out with bad people, more than likely, that's going to rub off on you too, and you're going to become a bad person. So if you hang out with Jesus, and he rubs off on you, then you're going to be a loving person. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, agape. And then there are many commentators who believe that rather than a comma here, there should be a semicolon. And then all of the words that follow are descriptive of the various aspects of agape. So let's look at it from that viewpoint. The fruit of the Spirit is agape, semicolon. Agape is joyful. Agape is peaceful. Agape is long-suffering or patient, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 13. Agape is kind. Agape is good. Agape is faithful. Agape is gentle. Agape is self-controlled. And against such things, there is no law. Now, these things sound familiar because they very much match the description of love or agape or of Jesus himself that was given to us by Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. Quoting once again from my mentor, Pastor Chuck Smith, who wrote a couple of books on that subject of the Holy Spirit and love, agape, might have one or two of them in the back there. You might check if you're interested. If not, Loretta Hedrick can order one for you. Talk to them over at the cafe. Pastor Chuck says, The greatest evidence that we are filled with the Spirit is not that we speak in tongues, prophesy, or exhibit other gifts of the Spirit, but that we bear the fruit of agape love in our lives. There's one more verse I'd like to look at this morning. One of the gifts I'm going to give you is an early departure. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life 
for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? In that same passage in John 15, he says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Abraham was called the friend of God. There can't, there's no greater title that could be given to any member of the human race than to be referred to as a friend of God, a friend of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? The creator of the universe wants to be our friend. God is love. The greatest expression of his love ever to be visited upon the human race is that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, as a gift to us for the express purpose of dying on the cross for our sins. Talk about the ultimate sacrifice. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And of course, sometimes people pray these kinds of prayers. God, if you'd only give me that new car, that new house, that better job, if only you would fix my husband, or fix my wife, or fix my kids, if only you'd heal my body, then I would know that you really love me. Any, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Anybody here ever pray that kind of a prayer? Lord, if you really love me, then you'll do this or that. And it's just the same thing that our kids do to us and the same thing we did to our parents, right? You don't really love me. If you love me, you'd buy me a car, right? Or a dog or whatever it might be. But that obviously is entirely wrong. God, if only, then I'd know. No, 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 no. He's already shown us how much he loves us. He's already given the greatest gift. There's nothing else that we could ever hope for, ask for, desire in this life that can even begin to compete with that's what she's already done. And if we can remind ourselves of that on a regular basis, and maybe we would be more content. What did Paul say? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment is not found in the things of this world. It's found in Christ and his love for us. God has already proved how much he loves us. Would you agree with that? How could he do any more than that which he's already done? The best way to prove to those around you that you love them is to give them the greatest gift, the gift that keeps on giving, the gift of love, the gift of Jesus, right? A little poem. Christmas is the gift from heaven of God's Son given for free. If Christmas isn't found in your heart, you won't find it under the tree. Let's stand. Father, we pray. First of all, we thank you for that greatest of all gifts, the gift of eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That gift that you gave to the human race 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary in the city of Bethlehem. Greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life for his friends. Father, we get distracted, we get sidetracked by the things of this world and focus on all the wrong things, but we thank you, thank you that at this time of year even those who may not think about you any other time of year are pretty much forced to think about you because it's everywhere you go. Even though the enemy has tried hard to distract and to shut down anything that resembles a true Christian celebration, a nativity or whatever it might be that draws people's attention once again to the birth of Christ. Lord, you have not allowed that to happen. 
The message still rings out loud and true every year, all over the world. Lord, as we watch our TVs on Christmas Eve and we see all the celebrations, the worship services taking place all over the world, we're reminded that no one has had the impact in this world that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has had. And Lord, as we are looking at the giving and receiving of gifts, help us to keep our perspective, keep our focus where it should be. Lord, it's fun to give gifts, to receive gifts. It is a way to express our love for one another, our appreciation. But Lord, let us not forget that the greatest gift of all is the gift of love, that agape love that nailed Jesus to the cross that we might receive the gift of eternal life. Lord, help us to be messengers for you at this time of year to bring forth that message to those around us We pray that your message would ring loud and clear all over the world and that there would be many people during this holiday season who would be awakened to the reality of who you are, Father, and what you've done. That many here in Albuquerque, New Mexico, the United States, and all over the world would receive that greatest of all gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of repentance, the gift of salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we close this morning, we pray that if there's anyone here that is struggling, Lord, we know this can be a very happy time of year, but it can be a difficult time too, depending upon what's going on in our lives. Various things that might cause someone to be discouraged, downhearted, depressed. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in these final moments, that those needing ministry, needing prayer would come and receive that ministry today. Lord, we know that you want to encourage us, uplift us, strengthen us. And so I pray for anyone needing prayer for any reason, Lord, whatever it might be, whether it's for salvation, whether it's for healing, whether it's for encouragement, whatever it might be, that they would come and receive prayer this morning, that they might leave here today strengthened and encouraged and prepared to face this holiday season in a very positive, joyful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.